Welcome to the Cosmic Reality Radio Show with Nancy Hopkins, Walt Silva, and Dolly Howard. This is a production of Cosmic Reality Radio. And welcome to the Cosmic Reality Radio Show. We are starting a little early because that last program ended a little early. And my name is Nancy Hopkins, and with me is Walt Silva and Dolly Howard. So I will say, hi, Walt. How are you doing? Hello, Nancy. Hello, Dolly. And welcome, everybody, to today's show. I hope we don't bore you. (laughs) Well, I don't think we bore people. If they if we were boring them, they wouldn't listen. <laughs> That's right. How are you doing, Dolly? Okay. Oh, jeez. What? My son calls oh. right on cue. I'm not answering it. Well, then he calls back. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, you you, you, I'm putting you on mute. Okay, well, Walt and I will hold the show. <laughs> All right. I'll, if I can find mute. Oh, here we go. Okay, so, Walter, have you had a good day? Yeah, it's so nice and sunny, and it's, uh, even though there was uh, snow last night, uh, it's not hot enough to, spring It's on its way, well on its way. So that's really good. Uh, yes, I have. I have decided that um, when you guys get spring, then I know you're out of the winter, yep. and I don't have to keep being reminded that it's cold in most of the world. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I don't even. Know. Well, it's not. Yes, you know, got up to eighty, I think, today. Oh and, my God, eighty degrees. I know. <laughs> You're like what? Ten miles from the sun? <laughs> <laughs> well, not e- uh, no, no, no. It, you know, it, it's the thing about the the Earth. You know, the closer you get to the equator, the warmer it stays all year long, and that's where I like to be warm. <laughs> and you're you're really not that close to the equator. You still have a schlep all the way down to the equator. If I could get farther south, I probably would. <laughs> Although we haven't had we haven't had, you know, cold weather in a number of winters. I mean, there were times I remember one Christmas where this was decades ago, but it was so awful because it got into the 30s and stayed 30s, 40s for pretty near over a week. And what happened? No. Wow. Well, not down here. It's but, snowed here in Venice. Yeah, but what happened was that it was... Um, down here, we don't have heat normally built into the house. So everybody ran out and got heat, uh, you know, little heat, heaters, right? And it, it, was there, it was there long enough that we got the heaters, and then the uh, Florida Power and Light couldn't keep the electricity going. 
Do you remember this, Dolly? Because about every 40 minutes, we lost the electricity on Christmas Day. Try to cook a turkey when every 40 minutes the power goes out. Yeah. Wow. See, that's the year it snowed in, in Venice. Yeah. Oh, my God. It was it was nasty. Well, I remember in the years that I was still living in New York that oftentimes in the news, there would be – I remember one time they were showing a video of – uh, um, orange growers losing their crops because all of a sudden they got frost and there would be like icicles hanging from the oranges and and, and we were like kind of amazed that it would get so cold that far south but I don't know where most um, orange orchards are in Florida because Florida is so extensive I don't know if it's far north in the middle and the south I don't know where they are right. geographically speaking you want to have icicles on the trees, the fruit trees, when it's cold because, and they purposely go out and uh, water the trees so that they will form ice. It helps to insulate the fruit. Oh. And then that's the sweetest fruit you can never eat. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, they... they they had done it on purpose. Probably the story you got is, look at all the ice hanging from the oranges. They're dying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, that's what the mainstream media well, would have told like, you. Well, leave it to the media. All news is bad news. And they're fear-mongering. Now, looking back, I can, I can see all the years of fear-mongering they pump onto the people. So there you have it. You have a totally different take on something that they were reporting as something bad. Oh, the growings are, the growers are horrified. They're having so much cold. I, I know I come from a place where it was a wine growing country. And it, when there were winters where you would have these huge cold snaps, it wasn't a joke because it actually affected the plants and many growers. What they would do is, I don't know if this is their own, is there any science behind it? I was just a little kid, but what they would do is they would have these huge bonfires and they would burn tires. So they would create this whole black smoke cover and they, they claimed that that protected the crops from the excess cold front coming down. I don't know how true that was, but it was a problem that the growers had in the winter. And the other problem was in the summer, as the the harvest approach for the grapes, you would get these um, huge vertical clouds, which are the cumulus nimbus type cloud, which is uh, primarily a hail formation type cloud. And you would get a hailstorm, and all your crops would end up on the ground. Literally, the, I remember seeing the photos in the newspaper, or something. they would take photos and put them on the TV, and all you would see is sticks wherever there was a grape plant. All you would see is these sticks standing naked in the middle of a field. And everything, you know, all the leaves, all the fruit, everything was on the ground because it got destroyed by hail. So that was another issue that they had to contend with every year. Really, every year they would have the hail threat. It, you know, sometimes there would be no, there would be storms, just rainstorms. But there, everybody was praying that there would be no hail. That's why I know that they, I don't know if it's still on being done until today, 
but in those years, the uh, the meteorological service, I believe, was involved in this. They had these, uh, I don't know if they, if they were disposable or what they were made of, but they had these little rockets. They're like, uh, they look like, a, you know, four-inch PVC pipes, and they would be shot into the clouds, and inside they had um, silver nitrate. So when the when the rocket is crossing the cloud, it opens up these little vents and it releases the powder, the silver nitrate. And what happens is, it it doesn't stop hail from forming, but because it's creating more, um, what do you call it, uh, particles for the snow for the ice to form. It's it's hails, but it's very tiny. It's almost like seeds, as opposed to having these giant. You know, golf balls and oranges size uh, stones. So oh, there was still hail, but it, it wasn't destructive hail. Interesting. So, well, we, I don't don't, know that's, so. <laughs> we don't like to have to put that kind of water on the uh, orange plants, but, you know, it is, again, it's, it's the interpretation of what we were doing down here. Mm. Because, I mean, even in your own yard. Uh, and those those you know could be frozen freeze, freezing temperatures. They tell you go out and water be- at night. You know because the, the yeah. water, even if it's not ice, the water itself helps helps insulate. Yeah, and, and I had a I I had a chance to witness that firsthand because I remember there was one year as it was getting colder and colder. There was less grass back uh, in the yard behind the house for Gandhi to munch on. So one time there was a little bit of snow cover, but there was some dry grass underneath. So I remember shoveling and clearing so that at least Gandhi had some dry grass that she could munch on. Well, the next year, that piece of ground that was exposed, it wasn't very big. It was maybe three feet by two feet. Um, The next springtime, nothing grew there because the, the grass had been burnt. The exposure to the cold, extreme cold, actually burnt whatever was in that soil. So I had to put, you know, new seed down so something would grow. So all that ice and snow on the ground is actually protecting the ground from being burnt. So well, you, when you think about it, on that? yeah, <laughs> I mean, I've always been amazed that the plants, well, the animals survive, you know, the winter, but that the plants actually survive the winter. But... Mm-hmm. It, it, Mother Nature is just too awesome. I mean, well, it's a hard, it's a hard environment for you know a, a part of the time for most every person on the planet. Well, not me, yeah. <laughs> but you know, because we're pretty good. But you know, the and, well, look at the Eskimo with their. I was just going to say, you know, ice, okay. ice, ice is the best insulator there is because it it can't get any colder. That's it. <laughs> Frozen water doesn't get any colder than that. Yes, sir. So, <laughs> um, that's interesting. Um, so, what other things do we have to talk about? We got, you know, um, what does the what does the sheriff have to say about the pulse of politics? Now that she's a peaceful she, witness, yeah, who doesn't I, I get uh, overwhelmed. Um. <laughs> Trump is saying that uh, watch Sanders uh, in one of the well in 
when they do the debate? things where debate yeah yeah when they do the debate the democrats are trying to get rid of bernie and he says watch sanders and watch how this happens because it's rigged <laughs> so he's already exposing the democrats and their ploy <laughs> What, what, they want to what, they want to get rid of Sanders. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, they don't want Sanders. Uh, they want this guy that's buying his way in. Oh, what's it? The billionaire. Oh, Bloomberg. They want Bloomberg for some reason. I I don't know why. Well, he's a member of the club. Why wouldn't they want a member of their club? Well, so is Sanders. Well, no, Sanders is actually. A social uh, uh, communist guy. Uh, is, are, are they called socialists? <laughs> Seriously. This is serious. So he doesn't belong to either party, but he's running. Mm. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and, Smells like trouble to me. And so, and they, the house changed rules so that the Bloomberg billionaire could join the debaters or the the guys that Democrats are Oh yeah, that's that's why they got that booster seat so that he could eat at the grown up table. I didn't hear that. Nancy said that they had to get a booster seat for the debates okay. because he's about like three feet high or something. Oh no! He's, what happened was that <laughs> Trump had made a joke about it. Okay, he is short, but not that short. And Trump had made a a, a, a joke about it, and he started calling him Mini Mike. So I thought the guy <laughs> was really short, but you know Trump is fairly tall. But no, this <laughs> this this was one of those. Trump talking, you know, about, yeah, I understand he wants to be part of the debate. And in fact, he's even asked for a stool and he's joking. But it didn't sound like a joke to me. So I reported it and I was not alone. There were a lot of people that reported it. So there was there was a, at least a week where everybody, all the news, the news people were, were bought into it. And he's asking, you know, and then everybody realized it was Trump that had started it, and it was a joke. And so then you watched him, you watched him for the next week trying to turn this around, you know. <laughs> but he's, he's, Trump still calls him mini Mike. He starts so much shit. <laughs> he, he stirs the pot all the time. <laughs> well, nobody can blame him for being a diplomat, right? <laughs> the, the, well, I, you know, not an accusation that will ever stick. <laughs> well, you know, he wrote that book, The Art of the Deal, and I've never read it, but I'm beginning to wonder. Maybe I should read it because <laughs> I don't know what he could possibly say in the in the book. If he's following the book, it's got to be an interesting book because. <laughs> He, you know, he, he, you know, he's like a magician, and he waves his hand, and everybody looks over there, and then with his left hand, you know, he tickles, tickles your butt. Yeah, it's just, it's just like yeah. I remember uh, when that close to the release of that book, I was still living in New York. They also released um, a table game, you know, like Monopoly, but this was Trump the game. 
So I guess the, the game, I've never seen it. I guess it must be something about making deals and you roll a dice or something. I hear but you. I know. Yeah. Trump probably <laughs> said, you know, this book is so good, I'm going to make a game out of it. And everybody thinks there's a game out there. <laughs> Nobody's... And he made some money on his game. <laughs> well, no, I'm sure they've updated it now that the game is not called Trump. It's my, it must be called President Trump. Where you're <laughs> playing and your, your position is all the Democrats and all the reps and everything. <laughs> well, if it's not out there, it should be. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, so it, it yes. And um, now, now, now they're waiting for it, and I haven't heard it. Maybe it already came out. If Bloomberg gets a certain amount of – gets up in the polls, if another poll comes in where he's actually being accepted as being a, a real player, then he can be on the debate in, in I think it's Nevada. But oh, he's already – he's already, they're saying he's on it. Okay, so he is on it. Okay. Yeah, I heard that today when I was procrastinating. And does he have a stool? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Elevator shoes. That'll be interesting to see. I mean, the other people on it were were one. I don't remember who said it, but somebody said, "Well, if he's going to have a stool, I want a stool." <laughs> I heard that. I did hear that. I don't remember who said it. And I was thinking, what are they talking about? I, I could just, you know. I can just imagine him so far that he walk into the debate with a jar, and they'll ask him, "What is in the jar, Mister President?" Oh, didn't somebody ask for a stool test? Oh, oh no, 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 no! Oh. <laughs> uh, I don't know where your mind goes sometimes. Uh, <laughs> wordplay, wordplay, wordplay. Yes, yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's um Oh, I mean it it's insanity. I think that I seriously think that they're, you know, having mental derangement because of the amount of EMF that's in the building. Because and it might be bleeding over into the White House for all I know. <laughs> well, re- remember the the that anecdote that affected you directly because you, I believe you were in the, in the army at the time when, or you were out, out of the army when somebody contacted you to consult with you what was happening in the American consulate that people were coming down with cancer and you did some remote viewing and you said, check, check the seal of the United States. And it turns out not only was there something there, but it wasn't the only one, but they didn't tell you what else they found. Remember that? Well, yeah, they, I, they I remember I remember it, and it's not, okay. it didn't, didn't happen so, exactly like that. They, I was in the Army, and they contacted mm-hmm. me. It was the Moscow Embassy in America. It was the American Embassy in Moscow that was fair, a fairly new building. Now, what was interesting is that at the time, it was like the State Department asked the I suppose all the branches, but they asked the Army, uh, the Army Security Agency, which was the unit that was directly responsible for protecting against intrusion from electromagnetic spies, espionage. And 
so when they contacted me, yes, I did a remote. I didn't know where it was because there was so much microwave in the building. That's all I saw was a lot of lot of microwave in the building. So I just said, have NSA go in and take measurements. And the guy thankfully called me back and said, you were right. There is microwave. Um, and I, and he said, and we found, we found it. And I said, you found it. Where did you find it? And he said, in the, in the great seal in the conference room. I said, oh no, there's many, many more, um, antennas doing the same thing throughout the building. Go look again. Well, a couple of years ago, I found out that they actually had a situation where the Soviets were, uh, beaming microwave into the building, into the old, embassy building back in the 50s and they got caught at it so this this demonstrates uh, a problem with well <laughs> it's it's a problem with a lot of places but within the military is that there wasn't anybody taking notes so nobody realized that there had already been an episode and they you know of course what happens is that people people found out about the microwave from, from the building, the apartment building next door, and you know there was a big flack about it. But then the Americans and the Allies they don't want anybody knowing that that intelligence capability is a capability, so they hush it up. It's a state secret that the Soviets can do that because we do it too, and that's why I knew what to look for when I went to the embassy. Because not that I knew they had been doing it, but I knew the Americans were doing it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So what's stopping what's that stopping them from doing the same thing to these government buildings where all these people sit and work? You know, like uh, Congress itself. Well that's because what you I'm, guys are talking yes. about how crazy they're acting. Well, how do we know they're not being irradiated out of their brains? Let me tell you a little bit about signal security, okay? Because you had the Army Security Agency, which was sort of like the NSA of the Army. And under there, they had two different pathways. One was SIGINT, Signals Intelligence, and the other was SIGSEC, Signal Security. I was in SIGSEC. Now, nobody ever wanted to be in SIGSEC because the action was in SIGINT. It was you spying on them. Much more interesting than trying to listening to telephones in the. We had units all. Every army post had a SIGSEC unit, and they would monitor the telephone and radio communications in the post internally to determine if anybody was releasing top secret information. And a lot of times it was, um, you know, this guy over here, this, you know, would say blah, blah, blah about an upcoming exercise. And which was maybe not even classified. And somebody else would say something, and bit by bit, picking up these little pieces of the puzzle, a SIGSEC unit would try to figure out what was really happening. And, um, of course, they're reporting back to us, uh, me. <laughs> well, they were reporting back to their units, but then those units would report back to me. Uh, and I found out a lot about a lot of things looking at that. Um, one of the more interesting ones was um, I, I was one of the guys that I worked with. He said to me, um, "We need we need to check into something." And I said, "Okay, what is it?" And he said, uh, "I'm trying to think of the name of the post. Oh, gee, proving grounds." 
I forget what, Dugway Proving Grounds, okay? He said, um, we need to find out where in the area of Dugway there could possibly be a Soviet uh, intercept operation going on. And I said, you expect to find Soviets outside of Dugway listening to the EMF? And he said, well, we want to make sure they're not. And so I got with my engineers in that particular facility. Well, I got with my engineers at headquarters and then the group down there. Um, we said, you know, we need to have your schematics, the, every schematic that you have about your EMF in, in Dugway. And they sent them back to us and my engineers went over them because when you got an antenna, like people at the time thought that microwave was secure communications because you've got an you've got the line the the hard line from the telephone company that at that time remember we're talking the 70s is connected to me and everybody had line hard lines wires there was no wi-fi and then it would go to a microwave station then at that point all of those wires would be converted into an electromagnetic signal of some size. I mean, this thing was carried quite a few conversations at once. And then it was beamed as a microwave beam to another antenna. Well, everybody considered that that was safe because it's a one antenna, the beam to another antenna. So, but my SIGSAC people um, went out and I said to them, um, all right, just just remember that there might be signals bouncing around because we had discovered that in D.C. Uh, the Soviets were the best in the world at this. And when they went to uh, build their own new embassy, they were very explicit as to where they wanted to build this building. And so <laughs> NSA said... This is suspicious, don't you think? And everybody, yeah, it's suspicious. So then they did a look at the position of that new Soviet embassy regarding the electromagnetic layout. And had they had that site, they had they could intercept every single communication in the D.C. area from that particular site. Um, so they had to build it someplace else. But they're so good at it, it probably didn't matter at all. Um, on the roof of the, this was one of the funniest. On the roof of the, in those years, from your description, in, th in those years, they, there was no such thing as satellite surveillance. Yes. Well, there was, but it was totally military. There wasn't very few of them up. There was very few of them up there. Um, uh, you know, and, and they were. And think of the time frame. Um, the we did have we did have a satellite up there that was vastly more advanced than satellites were known to be and to have access to that information what that particular satellite system could do you had to have not just a top secret clearance you had to have a top secret sensitive information clearance and on top of that, you had to have a gamma clearance. And a gamma clearance was like as far as you would go that anybody knew about, but there was more above it, but nobody ever talked about it. So when I've got the gamma <laughs> clearance, 
and I went to the headquarters building, it was like I had to go through a, a room, in, through a door into a room that had a vault door, like a bank door on it. And then there was mm-hmm. a secondary bank door inside that had the records. And so they brought the records out to me, and I'm reading this stuff, and I said to the major that was there, I said, do you have any idea what this says? And he says, oh, absolutely not. I just caretake it. I do not have a need to know. And I said, well, I'm going to tell you if you go watch, if you go read Aviation Weekly, or at that time there was a number of different magazines, I said, you'll find out the same information. I, I can't believe you're going through all this to keep this information that I already know. You just spent $50,000 for a gamma clearance? I said, you guys better get on top of what you're trying to keep as secrets. And I picked myself up. I picked myself up and left. So the best way, the best place to hide a tree is in the middle of a forest? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Because it's, it's all, you know, like you got every, it was all compartmented, you know? So nobody really knew uh, what anybody else was doing. That was part of the control. You know, don't let anybody know what everybody else, you know, that this is part of the control. But the, um, the, the, the Soviet embassy, the old embassy that they had in DC, the FBI was on top of them. I mean, they, they, there was, they couldn't fart in the wind without the FBI knowing it. And one of the strangest things, but, you know, makes sense is that, and at first nobody was picking up on it because the FBI were not, electromagnetic experts, right? Again, compartmentalization, and plus the fact this was a new science. This was only being discussed as, you know, electronic battlefields, electronic warfare. Those words were only just beginning to be talked about. But one of the FBI guys (laughs) was watching details, and he realized that there was something wrong with the roof, and so he started watching the roof. You know, every time he'd come up, he'd, he'd, he'd look at this roof, and he realized that they had, like, um, oh, what do you call those? Sun uh, sun, sun bubbles, you know, so things on the roof that were all over the place. But they kept moving around. And they were actually antenna systems. And they were readjusting the antenna systems in order to get a bit, better signal. But I mean, this this is was the beginning of of electromagnetic warfare. It was just in, where where are you putting your listening devices to hear what's happening? So the Dugway thing, they they came back to us. They gave us the schematics, and my engineers went all over these schematics. So what you're looking for, it, because we had discovered this, is that the microwave line of sight is not the only signal coming off of the antenna. Because in the back of the antenna, there was a secondary signal that was going, and also off to the sides. So these line-of-sight systems were not secure at all. But it gave everybody a false sense of security. So when we took, well, they took, the engineers took, the information that had been provided to us, they discovered that, and I'm talking Dugway being, you know, a large, large in the desert kind of facility that is, you know, many, many wide miles of army reserve, army uh, reservation, and on the army reservation, but within the ability for civilians to get to, there was this one area 
that was like they overlapped all the signals were overlapping and so my engineer said look at right here we got all these signals overlapping if you wanted to actually listen to the signals coming from dugway we we tell you that that's the best coordinates for it so i went back to uh to higher headquarters and i said go check out this these coordinates and so they they send out a helicopter out of dugway to look you know fly over the area and they find this camping van <laughs> a little camper van. Now imagine you selling, got selling ice cream in the middle of nowhere. Right? <laughs> fishing in the middle of the desert, and uh, <clears throat> so then they they sent the uh, the ground troops in. <laughs> Excuse me, and the ground troops discovered a Soviet spy. I mean that was <laughs> that was who he was, and. Um, so, but the reason that they were so freaked out about Dugway is that they were doing some experiments with the neutron bomb, and that I found out only because the guy, the guy that is telling me, you know, directing me to do all this stuff, um, I'm going to him. He's a good friend of mine. I said, what, "What? What's it all about?" I can't tell you. I said, "Bob, you tell me everything, whether it's secret or not. What's it about?" No, no, I can't. But he started thinking about it, and I read his mind. I said, "Oh." And he looked at me and he said, what do you mean, oh? And I said, just oh. <laughs> you know. And the neutron bomb is, uh, they can set off a nuclear bomb that basically kills everybody and leaves the buildings. Oh, my God. Would yeah, that be a direct that. weapon? <laughs> yeah. Uh, another interesting one was when um, they realized that this, that because, because, you could use such small... I mean, the equipment that he had in that little camper van, you could have put in a small suitcase. You know, that's why I say the Soviets were the best in the world at this. And we actually found... <laughs> that they had, I don't know what the outcome was. That I, didn't, I didn't actually hear what happened. Well, I did hear, but I don't know the specifics. Um, they had us do a... To take the take the information regarding the airplanes, civilian airplanes, and military, but you know, just let's just think civilian. The civilian airplanes, uh, their tracks, the way that they were traveling, because they'd all travel around along the same path, you know. And what would be picked up from these planes' radio communications? And sure enough, they found at least two sites where there were. Soviet people on the ground collecting information regarding civilian aircraft, which I found really interesting because why? <laughs> you know, this you should have. Seems like you could have got it other ways, but that's you know. So there were that was the beginning of of electromagnetic uh, intrusion. But again, that was the seventies. They had already found out about microwave and what microwave could do. You know, listening to community. voice communications in a building and they basically just put up a microwave signal that acts like a radio wave carrier and anybody that spoke inside the building it would modulate change the signal and that change was communication Uh, the downside was it was had a lot of collateral damage you were killing the people oh well Um, and then they forgot about it it got lost. It got buried because we were doing the same thing. Uh, 
So, yeah. But why were you telling that story? Why did we get off on that tangent? Well, because you guys are saying how all these people are acting like maniacs. And I'm thinking, well, what if their their offices or the building where they work all day is being irradiated and their, their brains are turning too much? Well, that's exactly what I think is happening. Because if if it does it way back in the 50s, you know, what's it doing now? In the 50s, it was... You know, somebody targeting. Now, everybody is surrounded by this stuff all the time. I seriously don't think they're thinking right. Because you look... Go ahead. I was going to bring the... You know, recently, we we, for one reason or another, we mentioned uh, the Joseph Cater book and the different things that he talks about. But if I'm remembering correctly, in one, one of the chapters, he talks about um, that's uh, was it the Moray, the, one of the scientists who actually developed the technology where you could pick up thoughts like radio signals and you could actually monitor what people are thinking. I think it's in one of the chapters. And obviously, they made all that disappear because they're using using it in secret, like all the Tesla technology that disappeared when all the papers that were confiscated when he died. And, of course, everything gets disappeared and weaponized one way or another. So somebody somebody must be using this uh, artificial telepathy technology. Well, Solaris Blue Raven, she fell into that. That was how she got involved, was that they start, she calls it uh, synthetic telepathy. Mm. And it's it's been years since I remember you know, listening to her. But um, basically, yes, it's the same sort of thing. If if you want to see into somebody's mind and you're not a telepath, then you can put up a signal in that brain that then acts like a carrier wave. So everything that the brain starts to put out is data and information on the carrier wave that then is picked up by a, tra- uh, a, a receiver. And once they've mm-hmm. got the, the signal picked up, then they can see what you saw, hear what you heard. As far as what was real, what's, maybe now they can do it, but I don't know that they could really decipher the thoughts. I would think that even then, trying to figure out what 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 a person is thinking versus what a person is observing would be different. I don't know that you would have been able to do that at that time. And I don't remember the details. And plus, I know a lot more since I talked with Solaris. But I'm going to be talking to her tomorrow, and I want to ask her some questions that have come up, you know, because of her experience. But that's what happened to her. She calls it artificial intelligence. I mean, telepathy. So, um, yeah, this whole... Well, one of the things I've been mentioning lately on the shows is that I just saw an article about the Isle of Wight, which is right off the Great uh, Great Britain. It's in that those island thingies. That's where Marconi put up his first radio tower. And within a short, short period of time, all the bees were gone. And so they took and they got a bunch of bees from the mainland and brought them over, and within days they were dead, too. That was back in 1906. Mm. And the, the documents that are you know telling this story, 
sad, sad documents, you know, about struggling bees, you know, hanging upside down, falling to the ground. I mean, it was like, wow, nasty. But it was electromagnetic from that one radio station thing that he had up there back in 1906. So we've known about this. They've been using it. That's why they don't want to tell you that they can get rid of cancer with the same technologies, just, you know, fine-tuning it like a surgeon's scalpel uh, compared to, oh, let's just wipe out those people. <laughs> it's, it's, it's well, it's like the, uh, like the man who, who uh, gave that presentation speaking how the, they developed the technology that Facebook uses. I was confiscated, essentially just stolen from under him. And you remember when he spoke about the philosophy of these people, everything they steal, their number one plan is how can we weaponize this? You know, they steal a glass of water. Okay, how can we weaponize this glass of water? You know, everything is always about making weapons. It, it's the, the mindset is just atrocious. It is atrocious, and it is a reason that there is so much suffering and hardship. It's ludicrous what they do. Um, everything is a weapon. You know, how do you weaponize it? I mean, I, I, when the, I was stunned when I'm working on Chapter 4 in the book, and I get to the point where I'm talking about Rife and the fact that he had proven he could cure cancer with energy, and yet it just shut down. And then I said, and then Wilhelm Reich doing it. And, I, and all of a sudden I said, I asked myself out loud, can Oregon be weaponized? And so I put in, I Googled, Oregon, weapon. And boom, that's when I found Cater. Yeah, because he, he explains in the book, what is it about EMF, man-made EMF? Because there is natural EMF. For example, gravity is a, is a EMF, very high frequency and in the infrared range but it is a natural form of emf it, it it comes to us from the from the sun but that's the thing when i first read that part of the book i started dowsing okay what is the quality of the gravity in my area and i kept getting negative and it made no sense because it's natural and then i started asking further questions is it negative because of the excess of man-made emf and i got yes so that's why, you know, I made something to transmute it back to its normal, natural state. But Cater goes on to explain how when uh, EMF is made artificially, you know, using normal transmission equipment, for example, radio transmission, those waves are accompanied by soft electrons that in reality, they're, they're like a, a sponge. They suck up healthy, natural, soft electrons like trees are like antennas. They give out. That's why it's so healthy to live out in nature because the trees, the plants, everything is giving out, you know, health, health, life-supporting and life-enhancing soft electrons. But EMF is like putting out. Uh, uh, it is putting out soft electrons because there is an, an incalculable number of different types of soft electrons. But they actually act like a sponge. They they suck up the good, uh, you know, life-giving soft electrons living, leaving nothing behind. So that's what, that's why man-made EMF 
regardless of frequency. And you can look at look it up at the book. It doesn't matter what the frequency is. It puts out these, you know, um, noxious. Let's let me use that word: noxious, soft electrons. And that's why, you know, I was I was surprised to find that the Shanghai-based devices they do that. They transmute these noxious soft electrons into natural ones, which I think must be part of the function of the change of the spin. Because I bet you, I, I wouldn't be surprised if these noxious soft electrons it's spinning in the wrong direction. Absolutely. Correct. Absolutely. So the Shanghai enabled devices are making that transmutation so it doesn't hurt you anymore. That, that explains why my house plant that's sitting two, three feet from the Wi Fi router, my mom has had to change the pot like twice because it just keeps growing. <laughs> it keeps outgrowing the pot. <laughs> well, and, and uh, Mona Radler has a plant outside of uh, the outside right underneath the smart meter and every every other plant's dying because of the winter and this thing is like doing yeah. doing extremely well and but yeah. she's got a, a a smart sticker uh on the on the smart meter yeah so that all that noxious crap that's in man-made emf it's is being transmuted and you so know the, can mm-hmm. you imagine how beneficial it could be if if it was all transmuted we could transmute it at the you know beginning of the circuitry you know you 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 might it might be the the ultimate growing medium (laughs) we don't know (laughs) we could make it that way just by thinking it that way wouldn't it's all energy it'd piss them off wouldn't it (laughs) well that's why one of the things that they don't want you to know is they don't want you to know that, you know, it's an energy universe. They don't want you. To, that is the only, I don't, I am not attempting to teach, cater absolutely anything at all. You know, I am, I am humbled by the fact that the, the amount of knowledge in that one little book, he was, he is quite correct. He's not being arrogant in that section of the book where he says that, that there's information here to keep someone enterprising busy for many years. He's quite correct. I agree with that statement. But he left out one teeny tiny little detail, and I'm sure you might agree with my comment. He left out the fact that all of this energy, all of this soft electrons, all of these etheric energy forms, they all follow consciousness. They obey consciousness, and they can be manipulated and moved and shaped and directed with human consciousness. That's the one, if you read the book from cover to cover, you notice that one t- tiny little detail is not mentioned, that connection of well, energy and consciousness. I doubt that even he would have been ready for that understanding. You know, if, if you stand back and you watch even us, even us guys, you know, the way that we began to really, oh my gosh, that thought is amazing. Quantum physics were the first people who said, whoa, if you think it, it happens at the quantum level. You know, mm-hmm. so um, it may be that that the, the collective consciousness wasn't even ready for that information. <laughs> um, but it, um, well, he he's, he says that it took him like over twenty years to be able to publish the book because he was met with every kind of resistance and hindrance you can think of. So they were uh, in that video with the horrible audio. I used a voice meter. To as a, I started adjusting the, the different frequencies so I could filter out as much of that noise out and leave as much of his voice in it. 
you can make out how he, he said he was aware he was being spied on by the FBI at one point and by the CIA at another point because the guy was onto something. So he was a, what, what do they call it? Um, a person of interest. <laughs> you didn't you know have, I mean? you didn't happen to record what you did, did you? No, all I did is as the audio was playing, I just, I just played around with the, with the filters and, you know, brought down that the, the high, the high frequencies to get rid of that horrible noise and kind of raised up, you know, the uh, human voice range and it made it more palatable, but it wasn't perfect. But at least you could make out most of the words. And that's when he said, you know, how uh, they were looking at him, they kept tabs on him, uh, and the FBI and the CIA. And, and even in the book, he says it took him, you see, the book is not gigantic. It's not like a phone book or the Encyclopedia Britannica, but it says it took him 20 years to be able to publish it because he kept meeting every resistance that they could come up with to stop him from publishing this. But like you, you said it best, we've obviously switched realities because he just appeared out of nowhere. <laughs> in 2014, he didn't exist in our reality. <laughs> no way he existed. We one of us would have known. Now, if it wasn't you and it wasn't me, it would have been, you know, Sperling or it would have been Winter or somebody would have known. But nobody knew, and then all of a sudden he's there. Yeah. And and how did I find him? Is Oregon can Oregon be weaponized? You know, and then all of a sudden you got you know. So I mean, there's there's. Of many things I am sure of, and one of those things is that we were led to cater. It would not have existed until we were ready to see it. You know that adage. You know the teacher appears when the student's ready. Uh huh. Yep. And that's exactly what I think happened. But um, yeah, there's and, and it's just going to be more and more and more of it. It's an energy universe. There's no way of getting around it. And once you see it, then things start to make sense. <laughs> yeah, and, and the first thing that people have to get rid of is the fear of manipulating energy. You're not going to kill anybody. You're not going to kill anybody for the simple reason is that you cannot encroach in somebody else's personal reality without their consent. If they consent that, yes, you're a threat, you're a danger, and you can possibly kill me, well, something bad will happen. But by default, you can't. You can't encroach on somebody else's view. That's why, think about it. Why does the system keep feeding and giving people reason to be afraid? Because people's fear is their consent. Like we know from the rules of engagement in the universe that remember they need to publish, uh, they need to create a movie, a fiction of what they plan to do, right? Some pandemic or some alien invention, or some major natural catastrophe, because they're planning on you know, having a fake earthquake someplace, you know, like Fukushima or the uh, tidal wave, you know, the tsunami that they had, and they make a movie out of it. Well, what are they doing? Well, they're planting the seeds of fear in the collective unconscious. So when they're ready for the event, everybody, oh, I remember this. I saw a movie about this. It was horrible. So well, all that fear and all that drama, that's your consent. Yes, you are accepting this. You're acknowledging this. 
you're accepting it in your reality. So yes, it is going to kill you. If people had known, okay, no, I don't want this seed in my consciousness. I'll, I'll go look at cartoons or something else. Uh, then everything that they come up with would fizzle out because nobody is consenting it to it. But I have come across people that are so programmed, like um, I remember one of the two sisters, um, the lady that we sent the water turtle to Colorado, remember the animus? Linda Morse. Mine. Uh-huh. Well, she has a psychological issue around the world, the word manipulation. When we would mention manipulation of energy, she had a negative connotation to the word. You know, that's how all of this social programming goes. It's not a bad word. It's like, you know, if I manipulate potatoes, I can make French fried potatoes. You know, it's just manipulation. You know, it comes from the hands. The word uh, in French, the word mans means hands. You know, manipulation is something that you're moving with your hand. But in, in her mind, manipulation had this connotation of mind control and and secret things and stuff like that. So that's how they have people program. They even, you try to get someone to realize how powerful they are and they're terrified of it. No, well, if we were meant to do that, everybody would be doing it. Well, everybody's supposed to be doing it. You were scared into not doing it. <laughs> this show is going so fast. We're like it's at 6.52. And it just turned around to the question that was started at the beginning of the show regarding why are the Democrats afraid of Sanders? All right. I mean, Bloomberg. I mean, Sanders. Well, Sanders. Sanders. Okay. What 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 what's happened is that Buttigieg, is that how we say his name? Buttigieg. Buttigieg. I found out how to say it. Buttigieg, who is who is the uh, mayor of some small city in South Bend. South Bend, right? Okay, thank you. Um, we had Jan on the show on uh, Say What, and she brought up this article regarding the Manchurian candidate and that Mayor Pete Buttigieg, whatever the name is, Buttigieg, I'll have to work on that one. Uh, when 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 she was telling, reading this article about, okay, he came, he's nobody, he went to Harvard, and she, she kept comparing his record to Obama's record. And one of the things about Obama is that he, he he did do an extraordinary speech. I mean, just an amazing speech. Speech a couple of years before that at the Democratic convention, and really, I mean, I was impressed by the guy. He was really really good. But other than that, he was a nobody. You never heard about him in the papers, and all of a sudden now he's contending for for the president of the United States. And this article was showing how. Mayor Pete was doing the same thing. He sort of came out of nowhere, and he's got all of these, all the same thing. And I went out to today to find that article because Jan's still got internet problems. I've got it, you know, and, and she, she couldn't come back to me right away as to where she got that article. But when I Googled it, not only did it come up, it mainly came up with Obama being a Manchurian candidate back when he ran. I was getting all these old articles from Google about Manchurian candidate Obama and the Manchurian candidate is based on a book and then a movie 
Um, Frank Sinatra was the first one that, you know, there's not now versions of this movie, but Frank Sinatra, and the idea was that the soldier was captured by the North Koreans during the North Korean War, and this was an old, old black and white movie, and these prisoners had been mind-controlled, so that, you know, years later you get this trigger that puts you into a program of action and in this case it was the assassination of a political figure so the manchurian candidate when it came out was that was a very very kind of scary movie because nobody out there knew about mind control but everybody would had become aware that the um in during the korean war that there was mind control being used so now they got um, the little little guy, Pete, um, as the new Manchurian candidate who has got all of the credentials that you need to fool the American people into thinking you're voting for somebody substantial. But unfortunately, Mayor Pete is not an Obama. And every time you see him out there in public, he's just wishy-washy. He's not somebody you would say yeah would you captain the ship no so he's falling uh, you know he's he's not doing what obama did to the field so they're going for the charlie brown effect (laughs) i have something to say okay go ahead this is off subject right now but it's on tv donald j trump he he just tweeted no he tweeted it tweeted it uh a little while ago Many is illegally buying, many means uh, Bloomberg, is illegally buying the Democrat nomination. They are taking it away from Bernie again. Many Mike major party nominations are not for sale. Good luck in the debate tomorrow night. And remember, no standing on boxes. Make sure it's a it's a soap box. <laughs> okay, so so what happened was that as their Manchurian candidate began to falter, the socialist and Bernie is definitely a socialist. I mean, the things he wants to do. If 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 Bernie became president of the United States, everybody would have to buy state insurance, health insurance. Um, the there would be no immigration laws. Everybody would be welcomed. Uh, I mean, it's 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 a horror show. All right. Um, so this is very scary to professional politicians who know that he is so extreme that should he become a Democratic nominee, and they are a Democrat coming from a constituency that has a lot of both left and right, Democrat and Republicans, that they their ability to be reelected would be in jeopardy. And this goes across the board in many states. You know, they talk about the red states, the blue states, and the purple states. Well, we're talking about purple states. So right from that standpoint, you would have a lot of pushback in the party to not make, not allow Sanders to be the representative of their party. He's just too extreme. So then Bloomberg comes in on, you know, his his chariot of gold and essentially starts to buy and, and he, he's not doing it as a 
how to put it this way, Dolly, maybe you know more, but he, he he's running it for the Democratic Party nomination, but he's not doing what he's doing within the auspices of the party itself. So he's taking his own money, putting up all these ads saying, I want to be president of the United States. And so yeah. he is buying his way into the president, the, uh, the, the, the primaries, because of these ads. Because do you get on a debate in the Democratic Party if you are somebody that the pollsters are saying is a real true player? So he's buying his way in, and apparently he's now going to go on stage. And what they're hope is this what Ross Perot did years ago? Yes. Mm. And Ross Perot was very successful in doing it, but he couldn't get the he 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 was doing it totally on his own money, independent, didn't want to be associated with either either party. But in this case, um, Bloomberg is going after the Democratic nomination. Of course, he was previously a Republican, but now he's a Democrat. But the president was a Democrat who then became a Republican because, the you know, he wasn't happy with that party. And I think he, he would have, you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to get into it. But so what you have happening right now is that um, Bloomberg is put in enough money in advertising to bring himself up in the polls because, you know, the gullible, uh, mind-dampened American citizenry go, oh, yeah, there's Obama. I think I liked Obama. And, oh, he's saying this guy's pretty good. Well, I don't like any of those other people, so maybe I'll I'll be happy with him. But in the last week, there's been, you know, by opening up the Pandora's box, now you're finding Bloomberg is in trouble because he was going after the 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 black and the, and the, and the browns they're saying browns now I don't know why well I guess they're brown but the Latinos and you know they're going after the minority groups in order to um, kind of take the wind out of everybody else's sails but apparently he said a lot of really questionable things regarding the black community so even though he won this one poll. Um, well, yeah. I hope those people have memories, functioning memories. Cause because you do, you remember. I, I remember when I was living in New York when he took over. He okay, let's let's let, let's hold and he that. The city like, yeah, let's hold that. So, I, I want to get into that a little bit just because it's because you're an eyewitness. But we got to do a break here. So. An aura geode, a black moonstone, citrine, cosmic silver nugget. Bracelets, shungite bowls, and much more at the Mystical Wares live auction. Have fun bidding for special items at your price. Mysticalwares.com slash live dash auctions. Let's take a moment to thank the people who make intergalactic distribution of this show possible. Mystical Wares in Mount Vernon, Washington. Yes, folks. Mystical Wares is where the Jedi Knights shop when they have their annual field trip to planet Earth. After annihilating battalions of stormtroopers and blowing up the Death Star, they deserve an all-out shopping spree, and their supplier of choice is Mystical Wares in Mount Vernon, Washington, an oasis of light in an otherwise dark universe. I spoke to Master Yoda the other day and asked him where he buys his shungite. He replied... Tell you I will, and not belabor. Mystical wares. I also pick up spare parts for my light saber. 
So there you have it, folks. If it's good enough for Master Yoda and the Jedi elite, it's certainly good enough for the rest of us. Mystical Wares in Mount Vernon, Washington. Online or on location, you'll be sure to give them a standing ovation. I am Annie, mad as the day is long, Avidician. This was Metaphysical Martini, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio, to whom we are most grateful. Until we meet again, my darlings, get involved in local politics, learn to identify the dirty tricks within the matrix, and above all, let the spirit inhabit the human. Scalar Energy is demonstrating how good health depends upon balanced and stable human and animal energy fields. Test it out for yourself with a free weekly 12-hour remote session at mysticalwares.com slash scalar-healing. This is an ongoing program allowing you to pick and choose the scalar energy treatment you want. Thus, you must register weekly for the session presented every Friday. Experience the future of medicine now for the free sessions or sign up for one designed specifically for you. Go to mysticalwares.com slash scalar-healing. And remember, you must sign up weekly and receive the confirmation email or text confirming the session. Experience the future of medicine now. Yeah. Okay, so we've got an eyewitness here to the Bloomberg <laughs> New York experience. And, um, you know, the pulpit is yours. Do you need a stool? Or <laughs> the well, uh, I'm just going by memory, and I'm not I'm not like, like Dolly who has her finger on the pulse of political life. But uh, I left New York in 2003, and I was living there when he took over as mayor of New York. And you know that business as usual that they do in corporations, whenever. You get a new CEO or somebody comes in, and the first thing they want to do is raise the value of the of the shares, and they start downsizing. You know, they start firing people left and right. They're saving a ton of money on salaries. Therefore, you can show immediately you're showing the stockholders, oh, look at this gain we got this quarter. And that's business as usual in the corporate world. Well, he came in as mayor, and he started doing the same thing, and I'm I remember talking with my ex-boss at the time, and I said, but it's a city where people live. It's not a store. It's not a business. It's, it's, it's not a corporate building. It's a place of where people live. It's a, place, it's a residential place. Yes, there are businesses in it, but that's not the purpose of the sole purpose of the city. Um, for I'll give you an example. <clears throat> uh, I don't know. I, I've never had children, so I don't know if this was a service that was very low cost to parents or if it was provided free to parents. But this New York city had a throughout the city had a number of daycare centers. Uh, they were owned and operated by the city and it was number one uh, resource for working mothers where they could leave their children. Uh, in the first few weeks that he took over, he started closing all of them. So mothers had no recourse but to find help in privately owned daycare centers. My understanding is that I guess if it's privately owned, it's more expensive. Uh, I don't know if the city run daycare centers where like, uh, you know, a lot of working mothers 
because in the years that I was there, they changed the way welfare was being run. Uh, and years prior, for example, let's say you had three children, and they're not, they're they're below 18 years of age, so you can't send them out to work. They're considered legally children. Well, you get welfare, you know, to pay for the, co- you know, for uh, maintaining them, you know, dressing them and feeding them and sending them to school. But uh, there was a year where they changed the law, and yes, you would continue getting welfare. But you had to go to a job that they would assign you. I remember we had a neighbor in the building, and she had three children below emancipation age, so she would get welfare for them. But in order to qualify and get that welfare money, she had to comply with the rules, and she did, she would get sent out to do these horrible jobs that nobody wanted to do, like, for example, uh, asbestos cleanup in a building. She had, I don't know how many weeks of training before she could even go near a site because you have to wear special equipment and you have to have special protocols, how you handle the material that's being taken out of a building because asbestos is so dangerous. But she did it because she needed the welfare for the kids. And uh, so, again, he closed all these uh, daycare centers. Uh, Then another thing he did, is he started closing uh, firehouses around the city, you know, Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan. So I don't know if these firemen that were assigned to these specific firehouses that were closed, uh, if they got laid off or if they got reassigned to other stations. But it was a horrible thing because when you consider the population density in these places, like Brooklyn itself, is considered the fifth, one of the fifth largest cities in the whole of the United States. Uh, you need, to, you know, you could have a fire that goes crazy and engulfs several blocks, and if you're going to have one firehouse here and the next one's going to be ten miles away, uh, that's not. I mean, they did have situations where there were fires that took longer to control and did a lot more damage. Because uh, this uh, fire station A and fire station B that would have been in the area had been closed off because that was that's what the mayor did. So he treated it like a business. He started co- cutting costs in order to make money. So it, it was really it was really horrible. I'm, I'm glad I you know I had a this chance to move to another state because that was horrible. And after the towers and everything. Uh, it was horrible before, and after it towers, it just got worse. <laughs> so, well, thank you for sharing that. Um, I'm not a big fan of anybody that's got that much money. <laughs> <laughs> Dolly, you want to say something more on that subject? Question mark. It's awful when you have three children, and uh, you have. You have to work in order to feed them, clothe them, take them to doctors and dentists and and all that other stuff. And the daycare people will charge you $75 for each kid per week. So you get your paycheck, you sign it off. You take $10 for yourself and you turn the rest of it over to the babysitter. 
Why are you working? Well, you won't have to worry about that if uh, Bloomberg or Sanders gets in. (laughs) Because Sanders will make everybody that doesn't have kids pay for everything. And Bloomberg will just say, tough luck, we're taking it away from you. And you'll starve to death. So, either way. (laughs) Because he's not the socialist in the game. You almost got the two extremes in the Democratic Party right now, in my opinion. And um, either one of them is not going to beat Donald Trump. No, I'm not I'm not worried about the election at all. Trump's going to win. Did you see that Facebook video? I, I forget which of the ladies of the group posted a video where Sanders is, is having a an outside rally, and it looks like it's he, the the rally is happening next to a, a river or a lake. So he's on the podium talking, and all of a sudden you see this boat going past and on the water, and it has this huge poster, Trump. <laughs> oh, I didn't see that. <laughs> wow, he's, he's everywhere, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, he is. Well, Trump was at the uh, NASCAR here in Daytona. Uh, yeah. uh, he went down and he started, you know, gentlemen, start your engines. Um, but he gave this this little speech, and he basically was acknowledging, like he had done in the State of the Union, people in the audience, uh, veterans for one, um, who were there, and the sport itself. He had actually, you know, gone to, to Daytona before as a, a spectator. And so it was just this very nice, sweet kind of acknowledgement to these people. And it really didn't sound very political to me. I mean, he he did make one little plug in there, but it wasn't a campaign type of thing. It was what the President of the United States should be doing. Oh, my God, that they were all over him for that. He spent the money to fly down there on Air Force One. (laughs) You know, and they're, they're, they're... they're bitching and moaning about him using Air Force One because what they did was they had a flyover of Air Force One over the NASCAR track. Uh, I, I don't think he was in it. I think he was already on the ground. This was like in, in lieu of, well, they actually did the jets too, but, you know, flew just flew the plane so that people could see this thing. And um, then he went around the track. They got the, the beast, that big limousine that was like, what twenty three thousand pounds? They say that that the glass in in the in the windows are inches inches thick, and the metal is. I mean, it's like wow, my gosh! But they put that on the track because these people they're they're into auto. They're in you know. I mean, it was it was it was just a nice little event. Oh to them, God. it was exciting. Oh, I mean, yes, indeed. Any place the president of the United States goes, he is in a campaigning environment because if they like what he does, they like him. You know, yeah. so, but to say that the the president should not go any place because he's campaigning is just a part of this derangement. Like I say, they're all brain brain burned. Brain burned. The brain burned people up there. Instead of swamp people, we should call them brain burned. Well, if there was ever a poster boy for the double standard, it's them. 
You know, because look, look at this thing. People. Look at this thing with the guy with the Ukraine and his son and all the people that he paid off in the Ukraine. You know, nobody bats an eye. But the president does it. Oh, he's Satan on wheels. Is it you know, double standard, Mitch? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, it reminds me of my father. Don't do what I do. Do what I tell you to do. <laughs> oh, I hated that say shit. that, too. <laughs> they do that in Argentina as well. I would cringe every time I would hear that. Maybe that's why Dolly has that disarrangement derangement thing happening. Not now, but happened to her because she didn't like her father either, or doesn't like her father either, because of, because of that attitude, right, Dolly? Oh no, I used to say that to my kids. Oh, you used to say it. Yeah, I used to tell them because they'd say, "Well, Mom, you do it." I say, "Don't do as I do; do as I say." <laughs> Yeah, and then that says, but why? And then the kids come back to me with, but why? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, it just got to be a thing. Well, I think you should do what you say you're going to do, not what you make up as you go. Oh, I did what I said I was going to no, do. No, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the politicians. Not everything is oh, about you, doll. Yeah. Oh, 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 no. I'm going to go cry in the corner. <laughs> so, uh, hey, I was very, I was concerned about uh, Mona. Did you say that she lost her internet? Well, something weird was happening. She couldn't get her internet to work. But she was on Skype. She was on the show. Well, okay, so she's having internet problems. Are yours fixed? No. Um, I'm not sure that she did because then she said, you know, it could have been a glitch. In her, I don't know what was happening, but she was on Skype, and Skype is internet. So if your internet goes down, your Skype should. But I had that happen to me with uh, Ani Avedisi, and I was on with her. And all of a sudden, I saw the station go down, and then I checked the internet, and the internet was down. But I was talking to her. No, it was it was Jan Moore, uh, Jan Shaw. Um, but I was talking to her. Now, how could that be? That you know, Walt I might know. know. Walt might Weird know. stuff. Were you on the phone, on the cell phone? No, I was on the computer. And well, I had computer like... problem, uh, internet problems. So what is going on? Is it the five G they're installing everywhere? What is going on? Mars is or Mercury's in retrograde. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, isn't that weird, Walt? That the Skype would keep going, but the internet was down. Um, Doesn't even make well, sense. What it? Are you, it depends on what you're. When you uh, are you saying that you had you weren't talking with someone on Skype and you opened the browser and the browser couldn't go to any site. Is that what you're saying? No, the the browser was up. With you know how yeah. many windows that I have up, and I was Correct. I was streaming, and when I saw the okay. stream go down and it didn't come back up, then I checked to see if the internet was working. And it was not. 
I tried to, you know, change the window, and it was like, no, I can't, 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 can't. But I was still talking to Jan on Skype. She was still doing the show, and I was recording. And so then I uh, stopped her, and I said, look, it, I have to reset the the system to see if it'll come back, and it did. But it was bizarre. Because it sounds like a product. Whenever you have something like that where one application works and another one decides to drop, it might not be that the internet, the communication is down. It sounds like a protocol issue because um, the internet doesn't run on one thing only. That's one thing that we have to understand. When you have a network, when you have computers connected in a network, let's say you, you work in an office, okay? You work in an accountant's office and you have three people. Their computers are interconnected so that everybody can get their files from the server and that everybody can print to the one printer in the office. Okay, all those computers, in order for them to talk to each other, they use an, a language, which is called a protocol. Uh, in the case of Microsoft operating systems, they, it, they used to use something called a NetBuoy. That's like saying French or Chinese. That's the language that machines use to communicate. When you're talking about the Internet, that's no longer the case. The language of the Internet is actually, it's called a protocol stack because imagine that you have a stack of dishes and each dish does one thing. For example, inside that protocols, inside that stack of protocols, you have one protocol whose job is to show you information in a browser. If that protocol goes down for a second, you won't be able to go to any to any website. Skype, on the other uh, on the other hand, I think uses UDP, which is an, another language in the stack of protocols whose job is to relay audio information. So the browser might not work, but Skype can work. Or inversely, if you have a problem with UDP, Skype might refuse to work, and yet you're able to go to any website you want. Well, I can I can say that's what happened, and you know I well in the in the correction was I unplugged the uh, the box the cable box, waited ten seconds, and then plugged it back in, and so the whole thing reset and it got all its connections up again. Correct, and the the reason that is like the number the number one go to action to do is because you are essentially giving up the address that the uh, IP the ISP gave you the internet service provider you're killing that address you're giving it up and you're refreshing your connection to their server so you're getting a brand new address and everything that goes with that it gets reset so that is the number one go to action in a situation like that yeah, even if you have like a, a your telephone goes out and your everything else seems to be fine, it, it, that's what they tell you. The first thing they do is is you know unplug and plug yep. back in. So if you have that problem, something's down, you know, take the time to unplug your cable box, wait a few seconds, plug it back in, and then you they say up to ten minutes you have to wait. I've never had to wait that long um, for everything to reset. But that'll save you from calling them and them telling you to do it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like email, for example. Email is a different protocol. Email is SMT. If you're sending email, is SMTP. If you're receiving email, it could be UTP. 
or it could be IMAP. There are there are variation of protocol languages for the handling of email. So when you're looking at the what your machine does to talk to the internet, it's it's a big difference from a local little network that's using one single language for all the machines to talk to each other, as opposed to this behemoth that's actually a stack of languages. And that's why they call it the protocol the protocol stack. I had to we had to see that stuff in school. And uh, that's why a lot of people prefer um, operating systems that are non-Microsoft, like Linux and Xenix and Unix, because for those languages, TCP/IP, the language of the internet, it's natural. It, it's the it's the natural way that it communicates with other computers. For Microsoft, surprise, surprise, the Microsoft operating system does not naturally or natively use TCP IP. The way they do it is... <laughs> Let me describe to you how they do it. Imagine that all your life you ride in a horse because you love this horse, right? And then you win the lottery and your wife nags you and say, now that you want the lottery, why can't you just buy a brand new Cadillac and ride and ride around like the rich man that you are, and just you know leave that horse in the stable, right? Well, so the man listens to the wife, and goes out and buys a convertible Cadillac, the best that's in the assembly line, and then he takes it home, and he puts the horse in the car, and he gets on top of the horse. So he's, you know, he has a chauffeur driving around town, and he's on top of his horse, and the horse is inside the car. That's the way that Microsoft uses the internet. NetBuoy, the only language that the client software and the server software recognize, is actually mounted on top of the TCP IP stack. That's why the Microsoft networks tend to be slower than a, a Linux machine or a Unix machine or a Xenix machine because it has to go through so many more hurdles to get your information. I've done speed tests. We did speed tests at work where we were playing uh, a video. We have multiple machines, some network, some were Linux, some were Microsoft, and we put a video file in the, in the server, and we had all the machines access the same video file simultaneously. The Linux machines, the video file was instantly on the screen, even though we're talking old computers like 486s. The Pentium machine, which is a stronger processor with more RAM and everything, it actually took 10 seconds longer to be able to open the video file from the server because it has to go, NetBuoy has to go through the, <laughs> has to be translated to TCP IP in order to go out and talk to the rest of the of the network. So that that's top line technology for you. <laughs> that's control technology. There you have it. Yeah. Okay, so well, I, Mona said that um, she has slow computer issues. Issues. It's temperamental, and she said uh, a mind all its own. Mine was screwing with me. Never lost connection. Just computer was showing no available for not available for links. So it wasn't her internet. I just wanted to make that clear. Okay. <laughs> thank you. No, thank you, Mona. 
Um, anyway, but we got a lesson from Walt. That's <laughs> <laughs> why I call Walt when I have computer issues. <laughs> right, right, right. New yeah, parent. So many, so many people get deceived because they, let's say, someone is comfortable with navigating the internal functions of the machine, and they go to the control panel, and they go to the network setting, and I'm looking at it. It says right here, protocol, TCPAP. And I said, yes, it says exactly that. But that's not the way it's been implemented. They're putting the horse inside the car. That's why <laughs> That's why it's their protocol stack is so bloated compared to normal servers and Internet machines that are purely native to the TCPAP you know, protocol stack. Oh, that's right. Okay, I, I want. I don't want to uh, forget to do this. You sent me something. You told me it was in in the package was on its way, and it got here the next day. I want you to explain to people what you sent me, and then I will explain what I felt about it. Will that work? Um, sure. Uh, it goes back to. The, what we spoke about on a previous show where I mentioned to you that Irma, the translator, the Russian translator lady, had uh, sent me a link to a webinar uh, done by that gentleman who is, uh, I forget what his last name is, Marty something. He, I, I believe he's one of the owners of the psychotronics.org site and he gave a presentation on radionics. And for those people that don't know, radionics is a way to um, manipulate uh, um, etheric res- uh, sympathetic etheric resonance, like um, using a radionics box that has, you know, the knobs, multiple knobs. They, they have different inside the radionics box. The circuit makes no electrical sense because it's just a loop of wire going through multiple no- and knobs and there's a, a detection what they call a stick plate which is a, an area made of rubber or some other synthetic material and as you're adjusting the knobs you're rubbing one of your fingers on it and once the finger begins to stick on the material you know that you reach the value so these knobs are normally numbered one through ten let me just jump in uh, here for a second because sure, when I sure. was using the radionics box that Walt had, had, had built for me, um, I, this stick thing always confounded me for all the times I've ever used radionics. I, it's like, but I started using my own body. And when I would be nauseous, I knew it was out of tune for what I was trying to do. And as I would mm-hmm. tune those, those turning, turning knobs, you know, it's not working on electricity. It's working on my energy field and the what's called the evidence, the witness, the what you're trying to, to, to duplicate in order to make a change to the 3D. And so I just use my own body. So all of these things that, that we talk about are devices to try, sort of train us about, you know, things. Uh, they're training wheels for like a bicycle. So I just wanted to say that... Don't Correct. get don't get caught up in in the mechanism of a radionics box because it, you can use Shungite. Shungite's a radionics box, as far as I'm concerned. Would you <laughs> disagree? Uh, I don't disagree because uh, it, it has such a level of sentience that 
you know, if it, if let's put it this way, if uh, Dali's water turtle had no shungite in it, she wouldn't be able to talk to it. It would just be a lump of resin. <laughs> so that's what makes it sentience. I agree. <clears throat> so so in that in that webinar, um, he spoke how he uses radionics, for example, to uh, treat and heal uh, crops. So uh, a farmer that's contracting you to do this work doesn't have to spend money on insecticides or other things to help the plants. So it's a great, you know, chemical-free way of dealing with your plantation. And he said that when you're dealing with crops, you have to scan 150 different factors. And as you scan them, you de you determine which ones are out of balance, and you have to bring them into balance. So when you bring them into balance, you know, the plants do better, and you have, a, you know, a great harvest. So he then he learned about Ho'oponopono, this uh, principle uh, in, found in Hawaiian metaphysics. Ho'oponopono, roughly translated from their language, means to make things right. Uh, the one of the things, uh, one of the principles behind Ho'oponopono is that you are 100% responsible for your reality. Anything that shows up in your reality, whether it's good or bad. It's because at, at some point, whether in the present or in another life, you did something for it to be there. So if you're having a conflict with a person, either this life or another life, something happened between the two of you and you're presently experiencing this conflict with a person. So the principle of Ho'oponopono is, number one, you admit, you know, I have responsibility in this because I'm, I'm a first-person experiencer of this. And then the other one is, okay, to make things right, to bring that into balance. And how do you do that? Well, you apologize to the person because they explain in Ho'oponopono the, the liturgy or the prayer that they use. Uh, in the presentation, he uses the four principal statements that you make. Uh, you say, you know, thank you, I'm sorry, Forgive me, I love you. And this simple, these simple player, uh, prayer is what Dr. Hewlin used uh, with all those patients in a psych ward where he would visit and he wouldn't talk to them or treat them directly. All he would do is sit in the office and study their, their files. And as he would look at their files and study their cases, that's what he was doing. He was looking at them and saying, you know, you know, uh, thank you, I'm sorry, forgive me, I love you. And he would do that, and as the months passed, more and more people were discharged until he left because there were no more people in the ward to treat. They, Whatever their issues were, they were balanced and they were able to be discharged. So <clears throat> the in the issue of radionics, what the man did is he used the radionics box to scan and find the rate of Ho'oponopono. What is that Ho'oponopono energy signature? And once he did that, and he applied it to the crops, he found that just with that one single value of the Ho'oponopono, all 150 factors were coming into alignment without having to go one by one. So when I saw that, <clears throat> the first question I doused is that, 
is it can I doubt what the value is of the Hoponopono signature? And I got, yes. So I said, I asked if I make a device that puts out this energy, will it then create a field that brings things into balance? And I got, yes. So I went about the the job of dowsing what is the energy signature of Hoponopono and uh, I made the tone for Nancy that she was able to post on the website. And then I made a, a rose heart resonator that would put out a fractal field. And the basis of the field is the Hoponopono signature. So then I made it and sent it to you. I don't know if you had a chance to charge water on it. <laughs> well, okay, so right now what I did as you were speaking, I went and I got it. And I took the Yeti microphone and put it on top of it. Oh. Okay, okay. so right now that You're energy, it. it should be broadcasting worldwide. <laughs> okay, and I don't know what you're feeling, but as soon as I did it, I was like, I mean, I'm getting overheated, actually. <laughs> oh. I'm like standing, sitting here in front of this antenna that's, that's absolutely taking it everywhere, through the Internet, all around the world. Um, I I have had, I, I don't even know, I, I, I'd lose count. I've got dozens of your devices because we put all of those spirals into the resonator creating the new reality back between 2014 and 2015 um, I've got different versions of, of many things but this one without a doubt was the most astounding um, <laughs> explain to people how you made it please just so that they understand that what the difference is and it is that glass well, the uh, oh, one of the things I was going to mention. Remember, in the previous show, um, you played the Hoponopono tone on the radio, and uh, initially, Dolly kind of didn't like it. But then, as she as she uh, released, you know, resistance to it, she found herself calming down. Uh, looking at the map, I can see that Dolly's house is within the field within the range of the device. So if she is welcoming of the Hoponopono energy, it it can envelop her house if she decides it. Because, you know, you're her friend, but you have no right to encroach on her reality. So only if she invites it into her reality, uh, she can have that energy in her place. Well, I'm wondering because all of a sudden my head got kind of funny between my ears and my ears, it's like something is in there and it's kind of vibrating, but it makes my head feel full. Is that part of what happens? Uh, I'm not an energy sensitive like you guys, so either ask Nancy or ask the posse. They're well, the best confirmation you can get. Well, well what, 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 again, state what the whole... Hoponopono. Look at I did it. I did it. Hoponopono. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> the Hoponopono, the frequency, it's to make things, to make things right. Okay? So, what's happening is that this, alright, let me, let me tell you my, my reading on it. What he's done is he's got a, a, a typical rose spiral, which is a, an upgrade of the spiral you see that we've been working with for, for years now, the, the this uh, implosion coil, 
okay? And this is now a, a more improved version. The energy field that uh, is created is, is m- there's more of it. But, and he's put it in resin, that, you know, just like he normally does. But he's got all this glass in it. And the glass is reflecting and creating tiny little versions of the main field. And so it's projecting them. But then it, it they get they get balanced out so that they're all they're not traveling, they're stable. They're like little tiny torsion torsion fields. So you, each of these torsion fields is putting out a field. So the overall effect of it, Walt, is that the field itself is so dense that it it is verging on physicality. Mm-hmm. Now, when I when I when I read it, it was like, uh, wow. I mean, I brought the thing in and sat it down beside me, and I I can. You know, I play with your stuff, and I go, yeah, dee 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 da dee da, and then I go off on my business, and I don't think about it again until you know it comes up again. This sucker was every time I turned around, I was re- thinking about it. Re- it was very <laughs> predominant. It was very dominating in in you know what was happening, and yes, the field goes out for two hundred and fifty miles or forty miles. It's a huge field, and very very solid. More solid than any energy field I've ever detected before. So my friend Cindy comes over. And I don't say anything to her. I just, hey, you want to play with this thing? And she was like, oh, my God, what is this? <laughs> you know, so I had to tell her what it was. And um, uh, she she also, I said, well, explain to me what you're feeling. And she said, it seems like a denser field. And I said, yes, yes, good word for it, denser. And... Um, she was just so tickled with it. She didn't put it down for the whole time she was, you know, sitting here. Well, before we ate, you know, she did put it down. When we ate, but um, she, she was so happy to know that she didn't have to leave the energy here, that she was going to be in that energy. So it's going to be how far into, away is she from you? Um, Forty-five minutes, whatever that computes to. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what she says about what her week has been. You know, because she's aware of the fact that that her entire environment has been altered by yeah. That's what I explained in the and I put it in the in the website and I put it in the document that I send the users uh, the consideration regarding the energy field that the device puts out. Nature will benefit, public spaces will benefit because they belong to the public, but. Friends and family and neighbors, uh, people that are unaware of it, they won't get any benefit because you cannot encroach in somebody else's reality on whether you like it or not. People's homes, their places where they live, that's their own personal reality. If they're aware of it and they welcome the help of the device and they welcome that energy, then yes, they will definitely benefit. But otherwise, it's like nothing is there for them because they're in their the own reality bubble. So that's why I said, don't, and I explained to people that are asking, sending me emails and asking, I said, don't assume that just because the field is so huge, it's going to help all your neighbors. If they're completely oblivious to its presence, then they won't because the device is not going to encroach on their reality without their permission. But if they're aware of it and they want that benefit, they want that energy, of course they're going to get it. I disagree. I disagree. I disagree here. 
okay? Because okay. The, they don't have to know about the device. All they have had to have done is ask for that kind of energy. Please make it right. Boom. That's it. You know, you don't have to know that the energy is coming from a device that's sitting in Nancy's yeah, house that's, because that's Walt sent saying. it to me from it's Minnesota. The, the energy, yeah, it doesn't matter. Uh, they don't necessarily need to know that there's a device there that's doing the, what need, what you need to know is that this energy is here and it's available. But it's up to you to, you know, welcome it into your reality. If you don't want it, well, you don't want it. That's it's, 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 it it's like the <laughs> it's like the Shanghai grid and weave. Same thing. You know that that energy is all around you. All you have to do is access it, but you, you and you don't have to know that it's there. You just have to, you know, ask for 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 help, energetic help. And that's why I say that Shanghai gave us the ability to level the playing field. Because yes, we're making devices. You don't need the device, but to understand the energies and to understand what's really happening, we need the devices to be able to understand it. And this yep. device is um, one awesome mama. Now, this is the same thing that you're doing with the uh, resonator. Is that correct? Correct. I offer the regular version, which is everything encased in resin. And then I use the one that's glass enhanced. Because as you're experiencing firsthand, uh, it's, the field is huge. It's a huge, huge field. From that factor, that that's what uh, Joseph Cater described in his book, that the more that light gets reflected, with every reflection, the energy content of the light goes up, and it gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And uh, like whenever the sun comes out, I like putting them under the sun because the it's also multiplying the energy of the sun. So the sun is contributing to the you to the output of the device. <laughs> <laughs> the, because the, of that multiplication all okay. that, all the reflection well one of those resonators you sent to um, Mark Amato who it was on our, their Shanghai show today and oh. I talked to him after the show and he's, 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 he, had, he had actually wanted to talk about this but we didn't go that way but after the show, I did. I said because I and I didn't realize that you had already put them out as a resonator. And the resonator um, essentially modulates the energies in your house. It's a, it's a wonderful device to be able to. I'll give you the link down underneath the YouTube. You know, to, to the device we're talking about. But Mark Mark had been, already had one, mm-hmm. and he had a second one, and he wants to buy a third one. Because he wants to do the three, six, nine Tesla concept in the California area. So I said oh. to him, I said, that's really interesting, Mark. I said, but maybe there is a third one here and we don't know it yet. So I said, you know, maybe Walt can look and see as he sent this same device to California because you know, conceivably, they're all within range of each other, and they're they're creating uh, uh, a coherent field, a more coherent field. Well, I have to look at the map because I have sent to two more to California besides him. You know, after his order, two more orders came in on uh, two two different ladies. So I have to see how many have ended up in California so far. Uh, the there was one lady that reminded me of Dolly. She's in Ohio, and I sent the glass one 
And she said it was so overwhelming when she took it out of the box that she actually had to go outside and sit on the porch. I don't know how cold it was because uh, she wanted to put some distance between herself and the device. And then she remembered about that you can program uh, Shanghai devices. So she asked it to come down so that she could stand it. And it did. So she was really happy with herself that she was able to. And I said, yeah, that's exactly what happened with Dolly and her turpentine spiral that Nancy gave her instructions to, you know, to tell it to lower its output so that it's comfortable for me. And she did. So she was happy that she figured that on, on her own. So regardless of how large the field is, you can't ask it to come down if you if you're very sensitive and it's overwhelming you. Just say, you know, thank you for lowering your output so that it's comfortable for me. And that's it. Uh, one of the things that I think by now, uh, Dolly should be able to talk to your Poponopono uh, resonator the way she talks to the turtle. <laughs> it doesn't matter that it's in your house. <laughs> I, I don't know if I want her talking to mine. She might tell her. <laughs> I was thinking that's pretty cool. <laughs> I like that. Okay, I'm get I'm getting I'm getting some some download or upload I guess at this point. Um, yes, you can you can actually use this for your own purposes because just as he explained with the different stacking of the signals, well, that's what happens with this. And I'm being told that anybody who wants to can actually use this thing and it's not going to interfere with what I'm doing. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, especially since it makes so many copies of itself by by virtue of all that reflection. Oh, that's exactly what it's doing. If Okay, Dolly, you've got an etheric version. I, I have it, yeah. When you said I could do it, I asked it it, and it's doing it. Yeah. My ears are getting better. So now the turtle has some company. Oh, shh. Don't tell him. <laughs> it's jealous. <laughs> you got him spoiled. That's the problem. Who, me? <laughs> no, my, my turpentine uh, spiral is saying uh, thank you. In other words, it's going to make its its job better. I can still say to to the turpentine spiral, "Oh, could you fix my shoulder? I went and screwed it up again." Because the the you know the mouse thing does that to me. And um, now all it has to do is put its healing energy through the this thing, and it makes it right. All right, because that's that's what healing is: is bringing things into balance. When things go out of balance, is when we get you know. Pains and aches and distortions, whatnot. Yeah, very, very interesting. So, uh, yeah, Walt's got another wild and wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> well, the like you said, this is all uh, this is all schoolwork. It, it can't be done, you know. If, anything that's that because. It, Let's face it, it all comes down to manipulation of energy, or if you don't like that word, uh, energy use, the same way that uh, we use tools. Uh, it is the most logical thing to use energy. 
like uh, those people, for example, in Cater's book, he brings up the subject of those people that are able to endure and survive under sub-zero weather or those guys that go out into the wild with practically no clothing and yet their flesh doesn't freeze, which is like people would say it's a violation of physics. And, you know, if human flesh is exposed to uh, so much sub-zero weather, it's only logical that the flesh is going to freeze because it's it's physics. Well, physics without consciousness, maybe, but uh, he explains how the people that are doing that, they don't get frozen, they don't get frostbite, they don't collapse, they don't faint, and they survive, is because they're the exercise that they're doing, like their pranayama exercise, they're bringing into the body the soft electrons that are in, engaged in the thermal function. So that's why it's the energy that's keeping them from freezing. Not, you know, it's not a fantasy or a superstition or a voodoo or anything like that. It's, it's just energy. So in, in that sense, when he tells that story, he's kind of, leaning in the direction of how the energy responds to consciousness. Otherwise, if energy did not, let's look at it the other way. Let's say energy did not respond to consciousness, then the whole discipline of pranayama for those people that study and practice different disciplines of yoga, pranayama would not exist because that's exactly what pranayama is, the manipulation, conscious manipulation of energy. The only major difference is that the training wheel in that case begins with your breath. When you learn to control your breath and different rhythms of breathing, it makes energy manipulation easier. But it's it's all come down to that. Well, you know, it makes sense because you remember when um, in 2017, the first hives that Derek had worked with, he gets them, he gets them through the, you know, there's no losses whatsoever, no unnatural losses. And they get into the wintertime, and all of a sudden there's a terrible, terrible blizzard. Um, and he's, he's, he was in the process of moving, so he couldn't get back to the old house. He was up at the new house, and he couldn't get back to the hives. And when he did, mm-hmm. and he opened up the first hive, all the bees were frozen. And he was like, oh, no, oh, no. you know. So he opens up the second hive, expecting to see dead bees and in fact he had a they were alive mm. and so out of the five hives that were there three of them died and two of them survived so i'm going i'm i'm talking to him when he's investigating he just gotten back there and i'm going like all right it, look is it the wind did the wind was the wind coming in different is there anything in the in the way that they're situated are they the outside? What 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 is the difference? And you know, he's walking around and he's saying, no, they're they're all positioning in the same way. You can see the drifts. They're all. It's the same thing for every one of them. And then he realized that the two that were still alive had been painted in shungite paint. <laughs> and I and I said at the time, I said. Okay, so the shungite paint created an environment where the bees who are, are freezing are going, I'm freezing, I need some warmth. And it would have been, I didn't see it at the time because I didn't know about it, it would have been the soft electrons they started creating. Correct. That's what caused the heat. Right. Was the, and, there, and, and, and there you have further confirmation of the sentience of shungite that it responded to the, to the bees' request or need. 
because animals have levels of heck stones have levels of consciousness people that are uh, all these people that are like uh, uh, fans of stonework and crystal work they will t- they will tell you the times that they talk with their crystals so <laughs> Well, it's not it's, it's not the times that you talk to the crystals. It's the times that the crystals talk back to you. <laughs> exactly. How are you doing? Well, you let me tell you about that. You know, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> what? What's this, this messaging in my head? We're getting to the top of the hour, and I really want people to um, – would you give your website and um, tell people how they can contact you? Because I, I, I do believe that a lot of the people that um, actually listen to this show are listening because you're here. Dolly and I have plenty okay, of shows, but you're on this one, and this is our number one show. So, please talk to the people. Okay, and my tell website them. is uh, uh, newparadigmtoolsaltogether.net. Uh, if you go there, the, you can go to the contact page and send me a message, and I'll just reply by email. You don't need to keep using the contact page every time because when I respond to it, you'll see my return email address. And that's how many people uh, send me questions. And I try my best to address the questions. And that's also the way they can get your products. And his products are, you know, there's a lot of them on, on his website. So, All right. Um, now, a lot of people ask me, uh, I couldn't find a page where I can post a payment. And, I, and it's written on the main page. I don't stock anything. Anything, every time I get an order, an item is made especially for that person. And then it gets, so it, once it's done, I send the person a PayPal invoice, and once I receive payment, I uh, send the person the, their parcel and their tracking number by email, so that they can be aware of uh, you know of the item as it's traveling to her to them. Uh, the resonators, uh, it's it's about forty eight hours to be able to complete one because the physical making of it is. A few hours, but it's that 48-hour resin cure that it needs to be nice and cure for me to do the filing around the edge. You've noticed that, right? That the the edge is filed because once it cures, that's as sharp as a knife. So. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. Can't send that out without filing. Oh, it <laughs> Walter, I'm finding a chip in it. Oh dear. Oh, it's probably glass. <laughs> it's probably a piece of glass in there. Well, it's awesome. Um, we're at the top of the hour here, so I want to thank you both. It's been a really quick and fun show. Um, appreciate you both. Do you want to say good night to the peoples? Uh, good night, everybody, and thank you for being here with us this night. I hope we left you with something interesting to think about. Thank you, Dolly, and thank you, Nancy, for making this show possible. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Nancy and Walt, for being in my life. Well, thank everybody for being in my life. Really, I appreciate it. Joe from Dolly World, bye-bye. And from my world, be safe and Ho'oponopono. Yay, let's go. (laughs) Thank you, Walt. Love you both. Thank you. You have been listening to the Cosmic Reality Radio Show, produced by Cosmic Reality Radio. Thank you for listening. Choose your heart.